Well, hello friends. We just finished Declare 2017. And if you were there, then you know in your soul that God not only showed up, he showed off. And we could not be more thankful to every speaker, every sponsor, every volunteer, every person or business who donated, and every woman who attended. It's hard to believe the 2017 event is over, but we cannot wait to see what God does with every single woman he inspired. In case you're wondering, you can still get the Honey, This Is Where You Start devotional. You can still order t-shirts from our new line and you can still buy tickets, but now it's to the 2018 conference. If you haven't looked at the website yet, go check out the speakers that have already come on board. And while you're there, go ahead and get your ticket to declare 2018 Warrior. Prices are only gonna go up, so get in on the ground floor of this amazing event. Everything you need to know is there, including all the podcasts you might've missed. I am so excited about some of the speakers and authors that we have lined up, but you tell me, is there someone you're dying to hear from or a topic you wanna to know more about? Leave us a comment and we'll see what we can do. I could not be happier right now though, because today I get to talk with Anna LeBaron, the author of The Polygamous Daughter. Anna is a personal growth activist and author coach obsessed with launch teams. We talk about her powerful story of growing up in a cult and her courageous escape, writing a memoir when there is PTSD involved, and how you need to put your stake in the ground. We talk about her new adventure that includes you and that it started because Jen Hatmaker is not the boss of her. We're also trying to help her fangirl in person with Brene Brown, so listen in if you think you can help. This conversation was a ton of fun and I cannot wait for you to hear it. Before we get to that though, I wanna make sure that you had a chance to listen to our last episode. I talked with Lisa Lloyd about her new book, Chasing Famous, Living the Life You've Always Auditioned For. She walked us through her process to get published step by step and offered some really great advice to anyone dying to get the message of their heart in book form. So if you wanna get published, don't miss this. And even if you don't wanna get published, Listen in because you're not going to believe what authors have to go through. Whew. That is episode 61. And a huge thank you to one of our favorite sponsors, Truth Inc. The owner and creator, Brittany's family, has been in the t-shirt business for over 40 years. Brittany noticed a lack of stylish and comfortable apparel that speaks life and truth and playfully reflects life as a mom. Truth Inc.'s humorous, spirit-filled apparel was created for everyday wear that reflects value and power and love promised to each of us by our loving God. This high quality and super cute clothing reminds us that we're precious and made for more. Truth Inc. mission is to leave a positive imprint in a dark world through a t-shirt revival. Find your perfect tee at truthinkapparel.com. Okay, I can't wait any longer. Let's go ahead and get started with our conversation with Anna LeBaron. Welcome to the Declare Podcast, Anna. It is so nice to have you on. Thank you, Anne. It's an honor to talk to you. Well, honestly, I feel like the honor is mine. I have actually heard you on a couple of other podcasts, and I have been fascinated by your story. And so I think just to help our listeners kind of get caught up on who you are if they aren't already, I would love for you just to start by telling us a little bit about your amazing story, and then tell us about how you are now or who you are now, what's life like after that story? My book is called The Polygamous Daughter because I was born in, raised in, and groomed to become a sister wife one day because I was raised in a polygamist cult that was led by my father, Ervil LeBaron. Ervil was known as the Mormon Manson 
by the news media outlets that would report on the atrocities that he was responsible for. His followers were carrying out the hits he ordered on rival leaders of polygamous cults and his followers that would dare to defect from the cult when they realized, oh my gosh, I'm, I can't be a part of this anymore. If they knew too much, a, a hit would be ordered on them. The first hit he ever ordered was when I was three years old, and that was on his own brother. So I grew up in a home that was very transitory because my father and his followers were wanted by the law. And it just got worse and worse as time went on with more and more hits being ordered. So that was what I was born into and raised in. And were you aware of this going on while you were in the middle of it or? No, that's part of the story is that I was not aware of any of it because the adults didn't share that information with the children. And so when I wrote the book, The Polygamous Daughter, I wrote it from the perspective of a child. The part where I'm a child in the book, I wrote from the perspective of a child. And then as I grow up in the book, you hear my voice as a teenage girl, my impressions and perceptions and you know the things that I knew about as a teenager. And then I go into some of my adulthood and part of the healing journey that was needed for me to be able to share my story publicly um, without being re-traumatized in the telling of it. That's a really interesting point. I mean, you do, you weren't just traumatized. I mean, you probably had post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes. Um, I did not know that, though, until like the past few years. Here's the part of that. When I started writing the book in January of 2014, I had been seeing a therapist for about a little over a year. And I went to her in January, right after I took the a writing course that, you know, a weekend retreat with a writer's course. And I started writing. So I went to my therapist and said, I'm writing the book now. So tell me how many visits I get with my insurance um, for the year. So I don't use them all up at the beginning. And she says to me, with your diagnosis, there is no limit. And at that point, I went, um, do I want to know what my diagnosis is? <laughs> and that's when she said, you have anxiety that's triggered by post-traumatic stress. And I was confused for a hot second. And then when I remembered that post-traumatic stress is what soldiers experience when they go off to war and see their buddies die, that was my impression of it, you know? Yeah. I went, oh, wait a second. This makes so much sense based on everything that I experienced growing up and as a teenager and into my adulthood. And so I've been, I'm healing from that and it's a journey and it's a process and I, I'm still in therapy. I would imagine that you would be. That seems like something that would take a whole lot of undoing. Yes, there is a whole lot of undoing that has to happen, and, but I'm so much and so far along on that journey that I'm past the point to where telling the story is re-traumatizing. Which is a gift. Yes. I've started professional counseling in 1995. And so you can see that for me, the healing journey about the things that I experienced has been long. And I have pressed in and been intentional about that. 
more than anyone I know. And I know that that takes a lot of courage and bravery. Yeah. I'm curious because you came from, it was a Mormon polygamist cult, correct? Well, let me be real clear about the verbiage that's used surrounding okay. that. Um, the modern day LDS church, um, which people know as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, disavowed polygamy in 1890. And so they don't practice polygamy. Good. Okay. Good to know. People that practice polygamy as part of um, their faith practice in following the founder of the Mormon church, the LDS church, they want to be called uh, fundamentalist Mormons. That's their choice for what they want to be called and known as. Okay because they believe they're practicing the fundamentals of their faith. And so modern-day LDS, um, there needs to be a big differentiation between fundamentalist Mormons and the modern-day LDS church. I think that's such an excellent point. The two are not the same. So that said, yes, I was born and raised in a fundamentalist Mormon um, community. Okay, so what I'm curious about, though, is your transition to just believing in God as the one and only and that the Bible was the true word of God. Well, um, I'm going to spoil a little bit of the book by just telling your audience (laughs) and your listeners that I came to know Christ um, as my Savior, um, the Christian Jesus, right after I escaped the cult, the Mormon fundamentalist cult. And so um, I did come to know Christ as Savior in, in that time frame. However, it took me a long time as a believer to come to know my Heavenly Father as a father figure and to receive and um, enjoy my position as a daughter. Uh, And I imagine that it would have taken a long time. I think it takes a long time for people that don't have post-traumatic stress disorder. It's, it's a process. And I think that that's really the way that God wants it because he wants you to want and to work toward getting to know him. Yeah, I don't, I, I, the word work, I think is not accurate. You're, you're probably right. I think that God pursues us and that he's previous to any right response that we have to him, that anytime we respond in a right way, he was behind that and, and pursuing that and, and, and causing that to happen. That's how I've experienced him. Okay. It's he's previous to everything. Every right response I have to him, he's previous to that. Okay, I like the way that you phrase that. And I know that your story of escaping where you were is incredibly complicated and powerful, and it's all detailed in the book. And so Mm -hmm. I really hope everyone listening will run out and buy a copy because it almost reads like fiction. You just can't believe some of this stuff, but it is actually your story. And I think that it's fascinating. And the thing that gets to me the most is just your bravery in everything that you did, not only to escape, but to build a family of your own and then to write a book about it. And we're going to talk about that book in just a second. But like, how are you today? How's your family? You've had some kids and they're grown. Is that right? Yes. Um, I, I am the mother of five grown children. 
and I do not have empty nest syndrome. Really? Am I allowed to say that? Like that I'm happy to be done parenting? Like I know you're not ever done parenting. Right, but like I'm done parenting minor children. Well, yeah, no, I think you can say that. Absolutely. Because it's kind of that light at the end of the tunnel thing where you finally get to enjoy them as adults. Yeah, I did not cry when the last one moved out. I helped her moved out happily. (laughs) I love it. And I'm just delighted when they come by and see me. All of them still live local here in the DFW area. So they'll call me out of the blue and say, hey, mom, I'm going to be in Denton. Can I come by and And I'm always delighted to see them. I'm delighted to go and visit them in their homes and see where they live and see how they live. And it just thrills my soul. But I am so happy that I don't have to keep track of anybody else. That I'm like, I I have more than enough on my own plate to keep track of. (laughs) Sure, absolutely. So let's actually talk about that. Does that make me a bad mom? (laughs) Yes. I think by anyone's standards, you're just a bad I'm person. horrible. And I hope you don't <laughs> listen to this and hear this. <laughs> no, listen, I have one more at home. He's 15. And so in three years, I move him out. And there is a part of me that is a little worried about the quietness in the house. But then there's a part of me that's like already thinking about how to pack him. Yeah. Yeah. Get those boxes <laughs> and get the tape. Get it all ready. Yep. Making lists already. Wow. Like, sure. ready. For Here, it. let me go to Target and buy you stuff for your house. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So when you're saying that your kids are grown and you're not really having empty nest syndrome, and then I'm thinking about how you have written a book, I want you to talk about the book. I want you to talk about that process. But I'm curious, when did you decide to do that? Was it when you were actively raising your kids or has that been something that's occurred in the last several years? I know the book just released in March. Is that correct? That's correct. March of 2017, depending on when people are listening to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So where did the book come from? I have known for decades that I wanted to tell my story. I am an avid reader and I love memoir. And I've always known that this, that this story needed to be told and that I, I'm the best one to tell it. Sure. And so I've known for decades, I wanted to, to write the story and tell it. I had to overcome the shame of being the daughter of Ervil Baron before I could start writing. And I had to overcome two very specific obstacles. And so I guess three, because shame is one of them. The, the second one was, what is my mother going to think? And the third one was, what are my siblings going to think? And I have 49 plus siblings. So that was oh a lot gosh. of siblings to think about what are they going to think. Yes. My, I didn't say my father had 13 wives and he fathered more than 50 children. Yeah, it's like its own small town. Right. Yeah. And so um, I had to overcome those three obstacles. And it was God to help me overcome the one about my mom and my siblings very quickly in, in one weekend. Wow. I, I went on a business trip and ended up staying longer than I had planned because of some things that happened in the company. And so I was a weekend away by myself because things happened and I had to stay. Right. So I spent the weekend by myself and I pulled a book off a shelf called Not a Fan. I can't ah, remember the author. 
Kyle Eidelman. Yes. So I pulled the book off a shelf just because I'm like, I have the whole weekend. So I started right. reading. And he said, and I'm going to probably badly quote him. I mean, I remember the book, the overall premise of it, but the one nugget that I took away was he talked about how Jesus said, come follow me. And the man responded and said, let me go bury my father and then I'll come and follow you. And so the author, Kyle Eidelman, um, he says, Mm -hmm. the man's father probably didn't even have a cold. And in that moment, God downloaded to my heart that I didn't need to wait until my mom passed to share my story, to tell my story. Because what he was implying with that one sentence is that this man was probably of Jewish descent and didn't want to shame his family by following Jesus. He wanted to wait until his father passed away, and then I'll come and follow you when it's not going to be an issue with my family, you know, <laughs> with my father. Wow. And so, in, I mean, just when I read that sentence, it, like, God downloaded to me in the heartbeat, okay, I don't have to wait for my mom to die. Because that's what I kept saying is, I don't want to break her heart by telling this story that, you know, is going to devastate her because she doesn't know half of the things that happened to me. And so I knew, I kept thinking, oh, it'll kill her if she reads this. And so in that one moment, I overcame that obstacle of saying I have to wait until my mom passes. And then that same weekend, I went to church with some friends of mine. And the pastor was a guest speaker at this church in a different state, spoke and told the story of David and Goliath in a way that I'd never heard before which I've been in church for a long time and never heard this. He talked about how David's father sent him to go to the battlefield to go check on his brothers. And he gets there and sees that Goliath is taunting the Israelites and says, uh, basically, hey, why are we putting up with this? And his brothers said to him, basically, who do you think you are? And that has been my fear. It was my fear for the longest time that my 49 siblings are going to say, who do you think you are? And in that moment, God downloaded to me that I needed to do what he called me to do and not worry about what my siblings thought either. (laughs) Okay, so I resonate with God called you to do it and you felt like you were ready to. But were you still, I mean, you decided to go ahead with the project. Were you still nervous about when it came out or were you just hundred percent a hundred percent yes nervous about it it didn't it didn't just make it disappear it just meant this is no longer an obstacle in my way keeping me from doing it oh that's so good so did they respond and I know that you've shared the story with your mom which is in the book yes but I'm curious about your fears, did they turn out to be sort of unfounded? Was it a mixture? But when the book finally came out, what kind of reaction did you get from the people that you felt maybe had to leave the earth before you could write the book? My there's, there's been a mixed response from my family about okay. the book. And that's ex- like with 50 people, you're, you're, they're all humans with a wide variety of emotions and places of where they're at in their healing journey. And so the responses have been very human. And, yes. some, and 
some, like my very, very close siblings that do life with me have all been above and beyond supportive, above and beyond. That's so great to hear. And then as as the circle moves wider out, um, those, most everybody has been supportive in, you know, privately and, you know, oh, I'm, I'm glad you're doing this. Uh, oh, that's, I read the book. It was, I loved it. But they're not publicly supporting it, like on social media and stuff, because they're not ready for that kind of attention and spotlight on themselves. And I totally support them practicing self-care in that regard, that if they're not, if that's not part of how they want to present to the world, and if they don't necessarily want to have to answer a ton of questions from their friends, then they need to do what's right for them. There have been some that find it very difficult to be re-exposed, and they find it very triggering to be re-exposed to our family of origin and the tragedies that happened. And so for them, it's been very, very difficult for me to do this. You know, you're right that with 50 people, you're going to get mixed reactions. Uh, But I'm interested because you said that you want them to practice self-care and you are all about self-care at this point. And Anne Lamott even says that self-care is quantum. Yes. So I'm imagining that you had to do a whole lot of that before you could even sit down and write one word of this book. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I could, we could talk for about 12 hours about that. Okay. Well, since we don't have that much time, exactly. Why don't we just start talking about the process of writing the book? I mean, did you go to conferences? Or did you just sit down and start, you know, writing cathartically? Or did you have assistance in writing the book? Like, how did this all begin? I spent a lot of years sitting down at a blank screen, like a lot of writers and authors, not knowing where to start with this story. How do you tell this big of a story? How? And that was a big obstacle. Until I went to a a writer's conference called Release the Writer by Wendy Walters. Release the Writer? Release the Writer Within You or Release the Writer in You. But it's called Release the Writer. And she does these conferences. I saw an, somebody, like a, an acquaintance of mine on Facebook, had posted just, you know, the promo for it. And this was in December of 2013. And I read the deliverables that she says, if you come to this conference and you partake of the process and you invest in the process that I'm going to show you, you will leave this conference with, and then she delineates bullet points, everything that you're going to get out of the conference. And I know I'm a doer, like you tell me what to do and I will go do it. And so I knew that I had it within me to just follow instructions and do what I'm told. I was raised to do what I was told. (laughs) Sure. So now I'm going to use it for better or worse. I'm going to use it for good. So when I saw that list and she said, you'll leave with a working title and chapter titles and content and a website, like not a website built, but a web, you'll buy your website and have that like that stake in the ground of this is who I am. So I left that conference owning on a That had to be kind of exciting for you. 
which was really, really exciting. So any would want, uh, aspiring authors go by your website name right now. Okay. And, and just put that stake in the ground, but do not search your name until you have your credit card in your hand. Because if you search your name to see if it's available and then you click off of it and then you go back, chances are some bot will have purchased that name and then you'll have to buy it at an increased price from some random person on the internet. Right. Okay. So good to know. That's your little tip of the day. So I left that conference having never written a word because it was just too hard. And when I left there, I had 400 and some odd words in a Word document with a working title for my book. And then in the next three months, just based on what I learned, I had over 40,000 words in a document. Which is fantastic success out of one conference. That's yes. similar to what we do at Declare. And, you know, I'm just a big proponent for conferences that do that. But I love that it kind of gave you that little jump start that you needed. It was this yes. big story. You didn't know quite where to begin. And they gave you almost a formula, mm -hmm. which is yes. great. But so when you actually sat down to write the story, to write the book, I'm curious about how you shed light on it, on your story. Did you find yourself changing names of people? How did, how did you write it so it sounded like you? And it sounded mm -hmm. like you from a place of healing rather than whining, I guess. Mm -hmm. it, like, did you feel like you had to be completely healed before you wrote it? I, I recommend that people be healed before they publish. You don't necessarily have to be healed before you start writing. Everybody should write their story down. Everybody. It, there is so much power in, in saying what happened to you. Right. Good, bad, and indifferent. There is a lot of power in taking it from the inside of you and putting it on the outside in a Word document that is, you know, password protected and in a secret folder buried in your, if you don't want anybody to ever read that. Mm -hmm. There is power in telling your story and getting it from the inside to the outside. And that's what my first draft was. Anne Lamont has a nice little phrase that she uses about first drafts, which we don't have to repeat here. Oh, okay. Um, which you probably know the phrase. <laughs> I've probably heard um, it. And that's really what my first draft was. And so I needed help getting it to, like, it's a memoir. So scene and dialogue and all of that was really important in order to capture the reader. And that's not a skill I had. I could tell you what happened to me. And so I enlisted the help of Leslie Wilson, whose name appears on the cover with mine. And she was a collaborative writer. And so the way it sounded like me was hours and hours and hours spent on the phone with Leslie Wilson, where I had like emailed her, you know, the, the information, like, here's what happened and here's who was there and here's everything that I remember. And then she would get on the phone with me and with her headset on and we would talk and she would type and she would hear me hear my tone, hear everything, um, who said what, when, why, and where, and how everything went down. 
And then she helped me write the scene in the dialogue and make the book readable to the readers because that's so important with memoir is that it read the readability of it. Okay. So I enlisted the help because I didn't have that skill level that was needed. And the literary agent that signed me, which there's a fun story about that that involves Declare. Oh, you're going to have to tell us in a minute, but finish this one. (laughs) So she told me that um, she would only work with me if I hired a professional editor. And so I did. And so is that what Leslie was or how did you find Leslie? Yeah, that's how I, um, that's how I um, connected with Leslie is because of my literary agent saying, I will only work with you if you hire a professional editor. Not because my writing, she hadn't even seen my writing. She didn't know anything about my writing. She just knew you cannot present a book proposal to a, a traditional publisher without professional editing. Okay, so that was good advice. Yes, absolutely. And probably the reason why I'm published now. Well, that's great. So go back a step then and tell us about how Declare fit into that. So my best friend of 35 years attended the Declare conference years ago and happened to be in on a session where Jesse Kirkland, who became my literary agent, was on a panel. So after the panel was over, my friend went and talked to Jesse and said, I have a friend who has a story. And my friend told her a little bit about me, and Jesse handed her the card and said, have your friend call me. That, just the words polygamy, you know, violent, you know, escape, you know, that that's enough to pique somebody's interest. Well, sure, those are, you know, catching words. It, almost, it sounds like a TV drama. And yet, I know that your story is, it is horrifying, and it is traumatic, and it is a tragedy. And yet you've come out of it on the other side. And here you are, you are so fun. You're so easy to talk to. You appear to me for all intents and purposes to be on the other side of healing from that journey. And I just think that your story is remarkable, but it is also so full of hope. I began attending um, Gateway Church here in Dallas, uh, in Southlake in uh, 2005. And they have a program called Freedom Ministry. It was started by a licensed professional counselor named Bob Hamp. And the pastor of Gateway, which is Robert Morris, um, in a nutshell, I don't know the whole story, but in a nutshell said, you know, on Sundays we talk about, you know, how to fix your spirit and how to get you saved. But the rest of the week, um, people struggle with matters of the soul and heart that we need to help our members with. So they brought this guy on to help people navigate those things. And so I started attending Freedom Ministry, and I talk about this a little bit in the book. And Bob just defines freedom as becoming the person that you were created and redeemed to be. And that word becoming just did something inside of me. It shifted something. I didn't need to have already arrived, but the word just just describes that you're in a process. I love that phrase. I love that you said becoming the person that you were redeemed to be. Yes. What a gift. And I've heard somebody say once that our stories are not for us. 
They are stories that we live through, but they are for us to then tell of God's power in that yeah. story and his redemption. Yeah. So I, I went to Freedom Ministry like a person that had been wandering in the desert being given a cup of water. And I went back and pressed in and drank deeply from that well and have experienced more freedom, measurably more freedom as time goes on and have become the person that God created me to be when he knit me together in my mother's womb. And I describe it like this. If you have an apple seed in your hand, because you've tasted an apple and seen an apple and held it in your hand, you can imagine the final product because you've tasted it and you've seen it. And that's how I imagine God when he knits us together in our mother's womb. He knows the person that he's creating and, and who we're going to become and what we're going to become. And he sees that from the beginning. I love that metaphor. That's so great. What a visual. And he saw the, and he knew this lively, energetic, fun-loving, enthusiastic. I mean, you just, all these adjectives. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> they described me to a T. And, and I, but I didn't know that's how I was because I was born and raised in a cult and groomed to close my mouth, be quiet and not talk, be seen and not heard, and eventually become a sister wife. Where the range of emotion that you are allowed in a cult is very limited. I just cannot imagine it. I just can't. I can't imagine having to suppress so much of yeah. who you were created to be from the beginning. So people that know me today are like, whoa, that's very different. <laughs> because I've just Oh, I finally can excel this person that I am and be who I was all along, all inside of there. Dr. Brene Brown talks about how you cannot selectively numb your emotions. If you numb the negative ones, you're also numbing the positive. Right. Well, I talk about, you know, one of the obstacles I had to overcome was the shame of being Herbal Baron's daughter. And it was Brene Brown's writings that helped me with that process. Um, her books, Gifts of Imperfection, I Thought It Was Just Me, and Daring Greatly. I call them the trifecta, even though she has other books she's released since then that are awesome. Yeah, she has one I think she released last week. I saw her in Austin live talk about braving the wilderness. Right. I hope you got to meet her and I tell her what an impact. I get to meet her because it was no book signing. Just come and hear her speak, which was awesome and amazing. <sighs> okay, so I'm just going to put out there then that if anybody listening to this podcast can somehow arrange for Brene and Anna to meet, oh. what a gift that would be. <laughs> if you can do that, just, you know, leave a comment on the show notes or send an email to info at declareconference.com and we're going to make that happen. Oh my gosh. I'm my, my, I can't even talk. <laughs> Well, I don't know if anybody listening knows how to get in contact with her, but I'm going to go ahead and believe God for it. So reading her works um, helped me overcome that shame and, and knowing and overcoming the, like, finally having expression for that negative emotion 
in a, in a really safe space, which was for me professional counseling. Um, I had not grieved anything that had happened to me. I'm a grown adult with children of my own and had never properly grieved anything in my whole life. And that grief process, I thought it was going to be the thing that finally did me in, but it didn't. And when I learned to grieve and express negative emotion that was, that's real and you can't just stuff it your whole life. I mean, you can, but when I finally learned to have expression that was safe and healing, um, it allowed the positive emotions that are on the other side to finally have expression. I learned what love feels like, what peace feels like, what joy feels like. Real, real joy. Even happiness. I'm getting... <laughs> I, I'm, I'm feeling emotional just saying it. I hope that's your next book. You know, how you did that practically. I think that with your story, how you come out of that and find real joy and real happiness. Yeah. What a tremendous gift that would be to other people who need to learn how to do that. Yeah, that is in the queue. <laughs> okay, but speaking of the queue. So <laughs> I want to actually talk about something that I think is so much fun. And it is that, you know, you're an author and you share your story and you definitely do that obediently and wonderfully. But you have recently discovered that you have a passion for launch teams. <laughs> and I find this so much fun. I'm kind of a launch team junkie. And so I just tell us about how you discovered that you had this passion and what are you doing with it now? I think we were like long lost twins. I think maybe, yes. Because I am a launch team junkie, but it, I didn't yeah. start out that way. I didn't, when I um, got signed with Jesse Kirkland and, and she was shopping my book, she told me that um, if she couldn't find a publisher for me, I'd, I might have to self-publish because memoirs go into and out of popularity with publishers. So I did what I always do. I started reading in order to uh, learn what I needed to know in case I needed to go the self-publishing route. Because I didn't assume that my book would find a publishing house. So I dove in right. and started learning. And while I'm in the process of learning, I hear my best friend, the one who introduced me to Jesse eventually. Okay. Um, she was talking about how she was on a launch team for Sally Clarkson's book, Own Your Life. And then she told me, Anna, go buy this book and then take a picture of yourself holding the book and post it on social media. And I did what I was told. I did not know that okay. that's what the launch team was being told to do. <laughs> I was just doing what my oh, friend gosh. said. And so I heard about her talking about this launch team, and I, I didn't know what it was. So when Jen Hatmaker posted in March of 2015 about that, you know, come and join my launch team for, for the love, I thought, well, I guess I should figure out what happens on a launch team. So I applied. Three days later, I got an email from her publisher saying, oh, we had 5,000 people apply for 500 spots and you're not one of them. I'm sorry. Ouch. They said it nicer than that. And Jen had a okay. note that was, you know, you are still my people and, you know, that kind of thing because she's mm -hmm. still sweet that way. Yeah. And they attached four sample chapters to read. And so I gobbled them up and then I went and tweeted Jen. By the time oh. I tweeted Jen, I had only tweeted maybe five times in my life. <laughs> okay. 
So this was a bold move. This was me just wanting to say thank you for those chapters. And so I tweeted oh. her. I said, Jen, I'm one of hashtag the 4500. And then I put in parentheses, we're a people group with our own hashtag that got it. a tasty morsel of hashtag for the love to devour in advance. That was the whole tweet. Well, never in my wildest dreams did I imagine that she would reply. And she did. I didn't even know what, how Twitter worked. So she replies to my right. tweet. And the hashtag, the 4500, went viral on her Twitter feed. Everybody saying, me too. They were part of the 4500 that got that email. What a story. I, I Like, you just have no idea how that comes about. And now here you are telling us. And it's just, it's so God. It's such a so God that move. Hashtag, somebody took that hashtag, created a Facebook group. I joined the Facebook group. And long story short, I went in that group and said, because I had learned enough about launch teams, by reading and like reading Michael Hyatt and you know other people that talked about stuff, you know about pro pro book promotion, I knew enough mm -hmm. to be dangerous. So I went to this launch team and I said, "Jen Hatmaker is not the boss of us. We can launch this book if we want to. We have four chapters. Oh my god! We have four chapters. We can quote those four chapters. Throw a link to her website on the thing. Do a quote graphic. Hashtag for the love." and throw out to the universe this book. And then we can find the 500 that have the whole thing because they're going to hashtag everything for the love. And then we go and share and retweet and, you know, like everything we find out there in the universe. And we did. So oh 1,300 women backed up the 500 and it became a New York Times bestseller. Uh, you know, I just keep thinking in my head about a woman scorned. <laughs> <laughs> and yet it was the sweetest scorning, you know. I say I rogue <laughs> launched Jen's book for the love. You did. That's and amazing. Then, and then I, I just, um, the, because I did never been on a launch team before, I did what came natural to me, what was intuitive to me. And I have loved, loved social media since I discovered Facebook in 2009. Okay. So now, how are you combining this passion that you've just discovered for a launch team with your newfound love of social media? Well, my love of social media matched with my ever growing love of books and reading and being mentored by books, because that's what happened to me. As an adult, I read everything I needed to learn because I was not prepared for adulthood Based on especially me, like of all the people, I was not prepared for adulthood being raised in a cult under a rock, basically. Okay, you win. So True. I had to read in order to mentor myself through people that I'd never met, experts in every topic. And so I've, I've matched my love of nonfiction <laughs> with my love of social media and just this innate desire and generosity of spirit about books and that people that love books just love books and will buy books. Just because somebody buys somebody else's book doesn't mean they're not going to buy mine. Right. So in my, in my world, there's plenty of money for everybody to buy all the books because that's how I feel. Yep. And so I promote other authors uh, like just naturally. I've been promoting other authors as long as I can remember. And so 
I've matched this passion for great nonfiction that helps people grow. If you look at my website, my logo says personal growth activist. Okay. And so I think this is just like the perfect storm. So I now launch books for a living. It started with Jen's For the Love. And then I just never stopped launching other people's books. And so you've actually, you've turned this into your vocation. Like yeah, yeah. people pay you to do this now? Yes. And okay. um, and I lead very large launch teams because that's the only thing I know. <laughs> that That's great. And so um, currently what I'm doing is I have been coaching authors and, and leading launch teams and helping people as much as I can one-on-one. But I can't keep doing that forever because so many people need help to learn how to do this and to learn how to do it well. Right. So right now what I'm doing is I'm building a webinar and an online training course to teach people everything I know about how to lead highly effective book launch teams. Book launch teams that deliver maximum social media exposure, pre-orders, and book reviews. That's a, such a niche market and yet growing so quickly Yeah, that I think that people would flock to this webinar. So how does this work? Um, the webinar is when and what do you learn in the webinar? And then how is that different from the training course? So um, currently we're in the process of building it out. We expect the webinar to be live mid-October. So if you... Um, hear this podcast before October 13th and you sign up to my email list, um, which you'll put in the show notes, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if before October 13th, you sign up to my email list, you will get information about the webinar, which um, will be a free webinar where I teach one aspect of, of book launching. And then that will lead to, um, a, online training course that I will be selling about how to lead these highly effective launch teams. And so I'm excited about that. I cannot wait. So anybody that's part of that initial webinar that's free will be invited to purchase the course at a very steep discount because I'm going to ask them to help me with the beta testing of it. I cannot wait to teach this course. So your target audience for this, I would think, are people who love to do social media, people who love to read books and pick up books, and also probably authors, people who might self-publish or even people who are about to release a book and they want to learn how to do the launch team and how they can participate in it well. I mean, this course actually sounds like it's for everyone. Yeah, it's going to be for a lot of people. And and then after this, I have other things that I'm going to teach that are very specific to authors, like how to grow your platform and how to get reviews of your book if you've already published the book and, and the review numbers are not where you want them to be. So I'll, I will have additional resources available as I am able to build them out and spend that time. But right now, this is the, the latest thing and the one I'm working on and cannot wait to get out there to the world. So you and I have already discussed that we're going to do another podcast on that second idea that you just shared about, you know, growing your platform and doing your book well. Yes. 
So we're going to record that. We've already got that scheduled. So I hope the listeners will listen to declare or check our social media to find out when that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. But for right now, the deal is, is that if you want to participate in the free webinar with Anna LeBaron coming up in the middle of October, go to Anna's website, sign up, and then you'll get information about the webinar. And as a result of signing up, it's for your email list, right? Yes, they'll sign up to my email list that's very specific to this training course. And so then when you're on that email list, you will be invited to take this online training mm-hmm. at a deep, 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 deep discount mm-hmm. and be the first group ever to go through it. Yes. It's like a launch team for your launch team course. Oh my gosh. I had not thought about that, but yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's what it is. Oh my gosh. You're right. You're so right. So if you want to be on Anna LeBaron's how to be on a launch team, launch team, <laughs> head over to her website and sign up for it. And you're brilliant. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I Thank you, though. That was a sweet comment. But I just think that it, this is going to be an amazing adventure. I cannot wait to see how this shakes out. Well, Anna, I have just been so, so excited to be speaking with you. And Honestly, I'm a little bummed that our time together is sort of coming to an end. And so I'm looking forward to recording another podcast with you. But I'm also really looking forward to see how you continue to grow this passion and what comes of it. And maybe that second book, if you ever decide to do that. But I just really am been so blessed by you today. And I hope all of our listeners have as well. And I just cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to come and talk with us over here at Declare. Well, it's a it's an honor and it's a joy, really, to um, be on this side of the healing. And I tell people all the time that I talk to, you are part of my happily ever after. Oh, that's so beautiful. All right. Well, I'm going to keep watching for how happily ever after continues to pan out. Best of luck with that. And we'll talk to you again really, really soon. I look forward to it. Well, I hope you are all going to run out and get The Polygamous Daughter and read it if you haven't already. Also, if you're interested in participating in Anna's free webinar about how to put together a successful launch team on October 15, 16, and 17, sign up on her website by midnight this Friday, October the 13th. It'll be really scary if you miss it. See what I did there? But seriously, anyone who attends the webinar will get invited to join the launch team for how to put on a launch team. I mean, come on, that is once in a lifetime. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Declare Podcast. Because we love you so much, we don't want you to miss an episode. So you can subscribe. You can do it on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And then if you have a minute, go ahead and leave a review for us. A huge thank you today to our sponsor, Truth Inc., If you want to spread a positive message and look fabulous while you do it, go to their website today. Don't forget to check all of the links in the show notes for anything that you might have missed or anything you want to know more about. Keep checking in with the podcast because our lineup is almost too good to be true. We love that you're here. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time on the Declare Podcast.